I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me... In the Vivid Seat studio once again is my co-host Charlie to help me out. What is this, Charlie? Week 12? Week 12 mailbag? Is that right? Sure. Oh my God. And like, oh my God, this is no, Lost this is depressing. Track. Well, it's, it's just depressing. close to the end. Yeah, this sucks. Uh, we're getting to like the good part of the season, but that also means that we're close to the end, which is never any fun because we wait so long for this. But anyway, you sat out there and uh, what'd you call it? Was it a frigid? Are we going to go that far, Sanford Stadium on Saturday night? No. I didn't think it was that cold until the end, and that's just because my feet got cold. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, I, I was prepared. Like, I was layered up, but it. I feel like I was kind of hot at times. But people were complaining in the stands, but I felt pretty good. I didn't think it was bad. No, it wasn't as bad as it has been. Uh, this week at Auburn, though, with the wind howling like it was a couple years ago, that uh, that might get chilly up there in the, in the nosebleeds. But uh, it was another good experience inside St. Rich Stadium, and you guys were obviously taking all that in as well, and you sent in a ton of great questions. As always, you guys never let us down. You always bring the goods when it comes to our mailbag questions. And today, I actually love the question. We've got uh, quite a variety here. We've got some stuff about the Auburn game coming up. We've got a few things looking back at that Missouri game. We've got a couple of recruiting questions and more big picture X and O type questions. So a lot of really good stuff to get to today. So I don't want to waste any more time. I know you guys want to get to all the good stuff. So Charlie, what do you got for me today? All right, first up, Brent says, what is it going to take for the offense to put points on the board against Alabama Tech in their barnyard? I think our defense will give Bo Nix a few fits, but I'm concerned about moving the ball on them. Third down efficiency is crucial. And then along the same lines, Jamie asks, how worried are you about the Auburn defense? I think we match up pretty well. Alabama Tech, that's a, I haven't heard that one. I like it, I like it, but I have not heard that one. So Alabama Tech, I'm going to have to steal that one, Brent. Uh, you know, both you guys, Brent, Jamie, I think Cliff also had a question uh, along the same lines. I don't know if I put it on there or not. So I want to make sure uh, that I get to all these questions here. And, and I wanted to start with this because obviously we're looking ahead. Uh, we beat Missouri. That was a big game. That was one we really needed to have. We talked about that in the preview show. But now all eyes are on Auburn one game at a time. And this is the next one. It's the biggest game on the schedule because it's the next game on the schedule, as Kirby is always apt to say. This is a big one, guys. There's no doubt about it. That's a good defense. I don't think I would go as far as calling Auburn's defensive unit this year an elite defense. They have elite players and spots. We all know how good Derrick Brown is. I think Nick Coe's a really underrated player on that defensive front as well. Noah Igbenogany, I don't know if he's an elite corner, but he's a really, really good corner. Uh, Owen Papo, inside linebacker, is a young player, but I think before too long, he's going to be along, uh, among the elite class of inside linebackers in this league. He's a really good player, there's no doubt. A little undersized, but he's a good player. So they have a lot of good players in spots. But I do think there are some things that we, I don't know if exploit's the right word, but there's some things that I think we can potentially have some, some success doing against this Auburn defense. Obviously, third down efficiency, Brent, I'm totally with you on this one. That is absolutely crucial. What I would say uh, I think we're going to have to th- be willing and able to throw the ball on early downs and protect, obviously protect Jake when doing so. Auburn's not quite as uh, dangerous rushing the passer as Florida's defense was and is, but they're right there. They're number two in the SEC. They were, uh, I think, 23 sacks going into uh, the the, the uh, bye week that they had last week. So that's a really good pass rushing unit. We did a great job against Florida. It's a little bit of a different task defending Auburn's pass rushers because it's not so much speed rushers off the edge. It's big physical guys in the interior that can just whip your butt. Big physical athletic guys like Derek Brown, Nick Coe, Truesdale, those kind of guys. Marlon Davidson as well. So a little bit of a different challenge in Florida, but it's still a challenge nonetheless. So we're going to have to be able to protect him. But I go back to when we talk about that Florida game. 
one of the things, one of the reasons I thought, I thought we had more success throwing the football in that game, because you know, it was what, Charlie, it was the first time we had, Jake had ever thrown 30 passes in a game we actually won. Last week, yeah. Or against Florida, yeah. So that, and that's kind of a glaring stat. And, and what, the reason, well, at least in my eyes, the reason we were able to win last week for the first time with him, with him throwing over 30 passes is we threw it when we wanted to. We weren't, like, in, in the, the the first, what, five games of his career, we threw over 30 passes and we didn't win any of those games. It's because we were in, uh, we were playing catch-up mode, things, uh, there was adversity that hit early on, and we had to throw the ball to get back in the games, and that's not necessarily what our offense is built to do. Now, if we are able to throw the ball because we want to to try to mix it up and keep you off balance, then we have a lot more success. I think that's critical, being willing to throw, and then, of course, having success when we do it on early downs. I think that's going to be very important to keep them off balance because if you allow them to just pin their ears back and obvious pass rushing downs, obviously that's going to be a really difficult task to, to handle. Um, but you also want to keep them off balance in the run game as well. You don't want them to just think that we're going to run the ball every single first or second now or they can just trigger downhill and, and call up some run blitzes down after down to down in those first and second down, staring down situations. So very critical to keep them off balance. Uh, and like I said, I do think that third down efficiency is going to be very important. Of course, it is every single game. In a game like this on the road against a good, talented Auburn defense, it's going to be very important. And to make those more manageable, we need to avoid negative plays on early downs. Um, and going back to what Jamie was saying, he, in that he thinks we match up pretty well. Jamie, I, 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 I'm with you. I, I do think you could say that. I think it's a matter of perspective, how you look at it. I think Georgia fans can look at that Auburn defense in front and say, well, you know, they've never faced offensive line like we've got, so we match up pretty well with them. I, and that's I, I, totally an argument you can make, and I'm, I think I kind of agree with that. But if you're an Auburn fan, you can also say, well, Georgia hasn't faced a defensive front like we have all year long. So I think it's just a matter of how you look at it. Uh, I'll, I'll at least say this. I'm glad it's not a mismatch up front. Because a lot of teams, when they face that Auburn defensive front, that's just a total mismatch. They can't handle it. I don't think that's going to be the case. We're going to win some. They're going to win some. Uh, but I, I don't think either side has a total mismatch. It's just going to come down to willpower, honestly, and execution. Uh, in terms of how I would attack this Auburn defense and some things I could exploit, to me, and I know we've all been saying this for a while, so this is nothing new, but when you look at their defense and where there might be some vulnerabilities, I really look at the middle of that defense, middle of the field in the secondary. There's, they have a very veteran group of uh, players in the secondary. Daniel Thomas, Jeremiah Denson are two veteran safeties. They're both, I think, both red. I know they're both seniors. I think, I think they're actually both red shirt seniors, so maybe fifth-year seniors there. Been around for a long time, played a lot of football for Auburn. They're good in run sport. They are, but I've seen them be liabilities several different times in the passing game. And also their star, uh, their nickel cornerback there, Christian Tut, is a guy who wanted to come here to Athens, but we did not accept his scholarship. Another one of those guys, uh, or we did not accept his commitment. Another one guys on that list. He's still a good player, but I think he's another guy, if you're looking at some somewhere where you can maybe take advantage of a guy who's maybe not as talented as everyone else in the defense, I think Christian Tut is a guy that we can exploit if, again, we're willing and able to. We don't really try to work out of the slot that much this, this season, which is something that's kind of frustrating me because I think Demetrius Robertson is a guy that can make plays for us. And he's been given opportunities at times, but I like to see us try to, try to maybe dial up a few more things for him, especially in a game like this against a guy in Christian Tut. I think D-Rob has an advantage on it. Hey, why not get guys like Lawrence Cager and George Pickens? Move them around. They don't always have to play outside. Move our best receivers inside. Get them matched up on Christian Tut. Create some separation there and make some big-time plays. And in the run game, I know this is the same story as the past couple weeks, but I think it just it fits again in this game. We need to attack the edges in the run game. We're showing more signs of doing that. We're diversifying our running game more and more every week. Christian Tutt, I just mentioned him uh, as the star defender. He's not a great tackler out in space. K.J. Britt, one of uh, one of their inside linebackers, he's really, really good between the tackles, big physical guy. Doesn't run particularly well. Uh, and also, if you run on the edges, you're getting away from uh, from Derek Brown. Now, he does move all over the line. He'll play a little nose, play a little three, a little five technique. But more often than not, he's not gonna, he's going to be probably in the, on the interior there. So if you run on the edges, you're getting away from him. So I think those are some things that I would try to do to attack this Auburn defense. I think it's, it's going to be a very interesting matchup because that's a good defense, uh, especially in their front seven. We have a really good offensive line, and uh, this game might come down to who actually wins that matchup. Okay. Our next question is from Witt. Thank you for the question. How do you think our receivers will fare against Auburn's secondary? Witt has a feeling it'll be hard to run the ball against Auburn's defensive line, so it feels like Cager and Pickens are going to be the key to scoring points. Yeah, it's a great question. I touched on that a little bit with that last question. I do think, again, that we're going to be able to have some success. At least I think there will be opportunities 
to attack their secondary, especially in the middle of the field against their safeties and their and their slot defender there in Christian Tut. How much success we're going to have, that remains to be seen. A big part of that is going to be how can we protect Jake Fromm? Because I, I still believe, more often than not, when Jake is given time, he is going to make teams pay. Now, if he's not given time, I think we have a question about that a little bit later on, then uh, he has a little bit of trouble creating at times. There's no doubt there. But if you give him time in the pocket, he's going to find an open man and make you pay more often than not. He's not perfect, but he'll make you pay more often than not. So I do think that there are going to be some opportunities for success there. I do agree with that. It's going to be it's going to be a tough road to hoe trying to run the football consistently against this Auburn defensive front. To me, what I would say is let's just try to have enough success on the ground because we cannot be a one-dimensional football team if that one dimension is throwing the football. We are not, like we were able to beat Florida in, in J3 for almost 280 yards and, and we didn't have a ton of success on the ground, especially early in the game when they were keyed up against that. We started to loosen up a little bit with the pass and the second half we started to have mu- much more success running the football. If we can run the football even like we did against Florida, I, I like our chances against this Auburn defense. Next up, Epic College Football says, I can't help but think of our recent history with SEC West Road games under Coach Kirby Smart. What's the key to finally getting over the hump and beating an SEC West team on the road? At the very least, this game must be close. I mean, yeah, at the very least it must be close, but that, I mean, with one loss, that doesn't matter anymore. We have to win. Like, if we want to have a shot at all, any modicum of a chance to get in the college playoff, like, we have to win. Close losses, I just don't think you're going to cut anymore. There's too many teams ahead of us right now that are undefeated and probably not going to end up with any more than one loss. So we have got to win this football game if we want to have any chance. I mean, I, well, you know, I guess you can never say never. You never, was, never know what's going to happen. Somebody else get upset somewhere along the way. Maybe there's someone else that has a, a South Carolina-type loss in them. God, that sucks to even say out loud. But... It is reality. Uh, so we got to win this football game. But it's a great question. Like, honestly, I look back, you know, at all these these SEC West losses under Kirby Smart. If you go back to 2016, Ole Miss, Charlie, you were there. That sucked, right? That was horrible. That, at first, you got to drive all the way to the middle of nowhere, Mississippi, uh, where there's one gas station every 97 miles on the interstate. The speed limit does increase to 80, though. At oh, least they're trying yeah, to help. Yeah, a man's got to go to the bathroom, dude. That's I mean, sure. you got to put on the side of the road. I guess you can do that. But, I mean, 2019, I need a bathroom. Uh, but, but yeah, that game that that sucked. But like we were young, we were still you know building as a program. Kirby's trying to build that culture, trying to buy in. It's early in that year. Unfortunately, I think that was like the last game, or maybe two games before all the sanctions came down against Ole Miss, and it's like, oh wow, that would have been awesome to play them a little bit later in the year. Maybe we actually could have won that game, but no, at least not. Well, maybe not the sanctions, but at least notice of allegations, whatever. And then Chad Kelly ends up getting hurt, so they kind of fell off the face of the earth late in the year. Early in the year, they were really good. But I can't explain what happened there. We just were young, I guess. And then you go to 2017. We all know what happened last time we went to Auburn. Uh, Charlie, you were also there. That also sucked. I mean, it was freezing cold on top it of all. It was terrible that day. There was day. no hope. Oh, God, that sucked. Uh, at least it was only a three-hour ride home. That's, uh, I guess, a silver lining. But, uh, again, I cannot explain that. I guess you could say, what, true freshman quarterback? But the true freshman quarterback had been really good the rest of the year. And it wasn't just him. Like, we missed some opportunities. We didn't really protect him. We didn't defend whatsoever in that game. They And they really weren't doing anything overly creative. We just weren't executing that game. But and like in a big game setting with the college football playoffs still on the line there, it's hard to account for that. It really is. And I will say, that was a – you remember that game, Charlie, right? Like, that was a crazy environment. Yes, like we've been, loud. like I've been to Auburn a bunch of different times. I think you've been a couple times before. With you, uh, and like it honestly before 2017, I was never overwhelmingly impressed with the environment in Jordan Hare. They wanted to kill us. Yeah, like it was, it was like a different animal. Like I'm serious, I've been there many times, and like it's been okay, it's fine. Yeah, it's SEC football environment, but nothing like what we saw in 2017. There was a rabid fan base, and they were pumped up. Like, and I was, I'm expecting something very similar. This week as well, although their, their college football playoff chances are, are 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 probably gone at this point, but they want to end on a, on a strong note. Uh, but so like maybe you factor the, the crowd, you know, true freshman quarterback. But again, like it, we didn't play like that at any other moment the rest of that year. It was, it's just weird. And then last year, of course, in at Baton Rouge, I think what happened there is like they we had some opportunities early in the game that we did not take advantage of. They took advantage of some opportunities that, that were presented to them. They got out to a lead, and they kind of steamrolled us from there. I think there's one thing with a few. There's a few exceptions you can look at, look at over the past couple of years where we've come from behind the Rose Bowl, being the, no, the most notable exception, with a massive come, just a, an epic comeback in that game. What a game that was! But like we, 
haven't really had many games where we've had to play from behind. And when we have, it hasn't, outside maybe the Rose Bowl, I'm trying to think, what, what other game do we have to, we made a big comeback. I guess you say Notre Dame 2017, it wasn't a big comeback. We had to come back late to win that game. But the fact is, we just haven't had to play from behind much the past couple years. We've kind of gone on this run. You go back to Auburn 2017, we got behind early in that game. We missed some opportunities there. Another, there were some special teams things, some plays that we missed. Um, this, we got behind, and it was tough for us to come back. We're not built to do that. I think you can say the same thing about Baton Rouge. So to me, one key to this game, I think a really important key, and we'll talk more about this on the preview show, is that we need to start fast, like we did against Florida, right? We come out get the stop against Florida. We, we score. We take the lead. We play really well from ahead. We don't play as well from behind. So uh, I think that's going to be a critical part of this game is getting a lead and do not let them have success early because if they do, that crowd's going to go insane and it's it has the potential to steamroll on us like it did in 2017. And it will also be a night game halfway through because it'll get dark at like 4:30. Yeah, well, I mean, you you're big on like sunset, sunrise. Like, when's the sun supposed sunrise to set? Sunrise is at or sunset. Sorry. Yeah, we don't like, like 4:40 because there's Central Time. 4:40 our time. Which is just depressing. So that's a that's like right as the second half's about to kick or a little yeah. after it kicks off. Yeah. So it's gonna be a night game. It's gonna be really cool, but All right. you gotta be ready. And before we get to our next question, I do want to remind you guys about our friends at Vivid Seats. I told you guys last week, I was in the market for some tickets to the Auburn game this week, looked around, looked at some different options, and it was pretty clear that Vivid Seats was the way to go. They had the best selection at the best price points. It was the easiest process I've ever dealt with when it comes to buying tickets online. And if you are still in the market for tickets to this week's game on the Plains against the Auburn Tigers, maybe... Next week's big game against the Texas A&M Aggies as they come calling to Athens for the first time since they joined the SEC a couple years back. Vivid Seats is going to be the place you guys want to check out. And right now, they actually have recently started a new Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program, which is a pretty cool deal. If you like to go to a lot of games, it's a no-brainer for you guys. You get to earn credits back on every single ticket purchase. And of course, every purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee. And when it's time to buy, new users enter promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. The next question comes from Barry, and I grouped it in with Charlie also. So questions and comments say, With most of the focus to date on our mediocre passing game, and probably rightly so, do you think we have overlooked how our run game has fallen off this year? We keep blaming it on opposing defenses stacking the box, but I'm pretty sure that has been happening for several years now. We have faced several middling to bad run defenses to date with less than spectacular results. Do you think this is a function of blocking, play calls, running back talent, or something else? Where are those huge run plays that made us so great? And then we had Charlie with a question that was very similar that says, what is it about our offense that leads other teams to stack the box against us so much? I got it the first year when there was questionable talent at wide receiver, but since then we've been pretty stacked at that position. Yet despite that, we still hear about teams stacking the box against us while I don't hear it about other teams doing it to teams not named Georgia. Why is it viewed as such an effective technique against us and not other teams, particularly teams that don't have our talent? Round of applause for you, Charlie. That was that was a mouthful. That was a lot. That was a lot of words. Yeah, they just kind of be having two long questions in a row that dealt with the same thing. So, no, well I done. appreciate the questions. Very interesting. Yeah, these are great. You guys know this is my kind of thing. I love the X and O questions. So Barry, Charlie, greatly appreciated, my friends. Uh, and you both, I, you both are on to something here that has. It hasn't frustrated me, but it's something that I have been at least like mildly concerned about. The fact is we have not been as dominant or as explosive a running team this year as we have the past two years. And I, I, I'm like you guys. I've been kind of like banging my head against the wall trying to figure out like hey, what's going on here. So you look at the numbers. I mean, it's not like it's not overly dramatic when you look at to- like rushing yard, total rushing yards. Like this year we're averaging 215 rushing yards a game. Last year we averaged 238. 2017 we averaged 258 a game. We led the SEC in each of the last two seasons running the football. Now what's a little bit more, a lot more stark to me, and, and this is what I'm more concerned about. We are not anywhere near as explosive in the run game as we have been the past couple of years. If you could, and I'm just looking, I'm taking, I'm going to take plays, rushing plays of 20 plus yards, guys. Right now. In 2019 through nine games. I'm not good at math. Charlie, I think that's three-fourths of the way through the regular season. Yes. Right? Three-fourths of the way through the regular season. Nine games in. We have 15, only 15 rushes of 20-plus yards. Now, you might be saying in isolation, oh, that doesn't sound that bad. 
Well, let's look at the numbers from the past two years. In 2018, yeah, I know it's a, we're talking about a full season, but still, we're three-fourths away through the regular season right now. We had 37 rushing plays of 20-plus yards last year. Go to 2017, yeah, I know we had Nick Chubb, I know we had Sonny Michelle, but we had 47 running plays of 20-plus yards. Now, I know that's 15 games, you know, you factor in the national championship and all that kind of thing, but still, like, we're not even close to those numbers right now. Not even close, and we're three-fourths of the way through the season. That is what I'm concerned about. We've got to find a way to be more explosive in the run game. You want to know why maybe our scoring is down and we aren't running, we aren't stepping on throats like we had in the past two years? It's because we're not hitting those chunk plays in the run game like we had the past couple years. That's what's hurting us because we, you know, we know everybody knows what we want to do. We want to run the, run the football, throw play action, take some vertical shots down the field, which is we're not having as much, as much success doing that this year because we've had some issues at the receiver position, especially with Cager getting injured at different times throughout the year. Got a young, inexperienced receiving core. A lot of guys lost from last year. So we haven't been as dangerous and as explosive in the passing game. So if we're not hitting those, if we're not making up for the lack of explosion in the running game with our passing game, we're just not going to be scoring as many points and we're going to have to grind things out more. And that's been one of our issues offensively. So we've, We've got to find a way to be more explosive in the running game. But ask the question of like, what's going on? Why is this happening? Why are teams you know slowing down our run a little bit more this year? Why are they stuck in the box and we're not having more success against them when we have in the years past? I, I'll say this: I, I we have seen stacked boxes each of the. I mean, ever since Kirby Smart's gotten the job, that that's what we've seen, but not to the degree that we're seeing it right now. Teams always play us run first, but at least they had to have. Like they had to have some level of respect for our passing game with guys like Javon Wims and Riley Ridley and Terry Godwin and, and JJ Holland and uh, they they and Miko Hardman by the way they had those guys made enough plays to at least make teams respect them. So yeah, they st- would stack the box at times when we would go with our with our heavy packages when we go with like you know twelve personnel because they have to res- they have to respond to that with big personnel themselves. But they weren't going with base personnel as a rule. Even when we were going out coming out there with eleven personnel with three wide receivers on the field. Teams were matching matching us up in those situations with their nickel coverages, their nickel packages. Right now, what's happening? It doesn't matter what we put on the field. If we put eleven personnel on the field with three wide receivers, hell, if we put four wide receivers on the field, teams on standard downs on first and second down, they are still staying in their base defensive packages because they have no respect right now. At least not without Lawrence Cager in the game, they have no respect for us to do anything vertically down the field in the passing game. Teams feel a lot more confident and comfortable putting their DBs, their cornerbacks, out on an island against our young, inexperienced wide receivers. Now, Cager, when he's healthy, he's been able to make them pay, and Pickens is starting to show signs of that. And I think when we have both those guys in the game at the same time, our passing game, huh, it gets a lot more dangerous all of a sudden. We saw that against Florida. That's a good secondary that Florida has. But when one of them is out then you can completely focus on that other guy, take him out of the game, and enforce Matt Landers or Tyler Simmons or Dominic Blaylock, who's going to be really good, but he's not quite there yet. Force go, or Kiaris Jackson, force those guys to beat you. And none of them have really shown the ability to be able to do that to this point. Maybe they'll grow into it, but they haven't done it yet. So yeah, we've faced stack boxes before, but just not to the degree that we are this year. And they're also, not, it's not even just the boxes, it's how aggressively teams are playing the run against us. Yes, they've always played us aggressively with the run, but it's 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 even more stark this year. The way they're attacking downhill like immediately, like go back and watch some of the, some of the snaps from the, from the Kentucky game, from the Florida game, from the Missouri game. Like when the ball is snapped on first and second down, those linebackers are triggering downhill. Like they're shooting their gun and they are going downhill immediately with reckless abandon, not even worried about what's happening behind them. They're not even thinking about it. And that hasn't always been the case the past couple of years. So at least we had some some guys who had shown the ability to make some plays in the past game. We just haven't, we don't have a ton of those guys or as many of those guys this year. I mean, we've even got, like, go back and watch some of this, guys. You're seeing inside linebackers from opposing defenses align about two to three yards off the line of scrimmage. You don't see that any other team face that. That does not happen. Maybe Wisconsin every now and then sees that, but there's no one else in the SEC that teams defend that way. And the only way to stop teams from doing that is to hurt them in the passing game. And we just haven't done it consistently enough. Yeah, we did against Florida enough, but that's one game. Like when else have we really hurt? I mean, I guess the second half of Notre Dame, uh, but until we start doing it consistently, they're going to take their chance on the outside to see if we can make them pay. And we've got to start doing it. We've got to and be willing to take those shots early on because otherwise we're going to keep facing the same looks and we're going to have issues trying to create those explosive, those explosive running plays, which have been a big part of our offense the past couple of years. So great question. Hopefully that was a 
Decent enough answer? An acceptable answer? I believe so. Certainly. Oh, I, I, I detect some sarcasm there? Not at all. Next question comes Shut from up. Thomas. Thanks for your question, Thomas. He says that Kirby says Jake Fromm is great if he is given time to make the play. Well, that's not always the case, Thomas says. Watching the LSU-Bama game, the LSU offensive line broke down consistently, but Burrow made plays happen in spite of it. Jake has to get better at seeing more of the field. I realize he doesn't have his old receivers, but from my seats, he saw several wide-open passes for touchdowns he simply didn't see once the pressure was on. Thomas says, I love Jake and he is who we have. He just thinks that there would be more improvement from the late... 2017 season to now. Have you seen much improvement from college football playoff, Jake Fromm, in 2017 until now? Yeah, absolutely I have. Uh, he's certainly more comfortable. He's going through his progressions more consistently. And I, I, I want to talk about progressions for a second. I hear a lot of people say, oh my God, this guy's, you hear him in the stands, he's wide open, he's wide open, throw but it to him. But if he's the third guy in the progression, right. Right. If he's the, the third guy in the progression, line yeah. is broken down, you might not have time to get to that progression. If the offensive line is not broken, exactly. If the offensive line is broken down, great point. He might not have time to get there. Or if the first or second guy in progression, he thinks they're open, right. you throw the football. Like, and I, I've said this before, I just want to make this point again. Like, This is not how football works, guys. The quarterback does not get the snap and scan the entire field every single play to find the most open guy. This is not a, backyard football. He has a specific order of who yes. he's supposed to check down. And in that it's a progression, order. right? And if number one looks like he's open, you go with number one. Yes. You're not going to take the time to go to two, three, four. Yes, absolutely. I think it was against the South Carolina game, or against South Carolina in that game. Uh, I think it was, was it in the, uh, is it late in the fourth quarter and overtime one of those plays. He, you know, uh, there's a lot of people that point out on one of those plays uh, that DeAndre Swift was wide open in the middle of the field, but we throw the fade, the slot fade to D-Rob in the end zone. And yes, if you look at the play in isolation, you point and you say, wow, if I look at the entire field, he's he's the most open player. Look at DeAndre Swift. Yeah, he's wide open in the middle of the field. But if he's not, and he's, yeah, a, he's a check down player. Right? The check down is the last read on right. the progression. So if Jake's first read or his second read, any read before DeAndre Swift is Demetrius Robertson in the end zone and he sees one-on-one coverage, you throw that ball 10 times out of 10. That is what you're coached to do. Well, now, it's easy to say that when you don't have 11 players coming at you. Sure, and maybe like out of the corner of your eye, you might get lucky and glance. Also, oh, he's wide open. Let me throw it to him. But you can't count. Like you said, when, when players are rushing at you full force, you know you might not see that out of the corner of your eye. But that, that's just how progressions work. It's not as easy as like you said in the backyard. Like when we, still, we play football now, like you know tailgating or whatever, and you scan the field you look for the guy who's most open. Like, that's just not how it works. Uh, so I just I wanted to make that point. But I, I do I, I do totally agree with what you're saying here, Thomas, in, in terms of Jake's ability to make things happen and perform at a high level when he doesn't have a clean pocket. That is an area, I think it's fair to say that's an area of deficiency for Jake Fromm. He's not over, he's not really mobile. Uh, he's done, I think he's done a better job of, of trying to take off. But when he takes off, like he's not even Joe Burrow level of an athlete right now. Like you watch, you saw that Charlie against LSU, or LSU against Bama. Yeah. Burrow late in that game made plays with his legs. I mean, he wasn't the only reason they won, but I mean, some critical plays with his Definitely legs late helped. in that game. Right. And Jake can't, just doesn't, he cannot do that. That's, he doesn't have that level of athleticism. That is an area deficiency when you compare him to other quarterbacks. And I think he does things to make up for that, the things that most other quarterbacks don't do um, with his understanding of defenses and coverages and how to diagnose pre-snap, post-snap, all that stuff. Most quarterbacks don't come close to what he can do there. But other quarterbacks can run better than him. They can extend plays better than him. There, there's no doubt that that is... And that's something that, like, if you're looking at our offense, that does concern me. I wish that Jake was a little more, mo- a little more mobile. I will take, I will say this though: I would rather have a guy that understands what defenses are trying to do and can and diagnose things and read things pre-snap and post-snap as well as he does over a guy that can that can run like the wind but has no idea what defenses are trying to do to you. I think we had one of those. I think we did. Now, he's doing a great job at Ohio State. I'll give him he credit, is but totally he wasn't. Different. Yeah, different offense, and he was And it's a different year. He's a year older now. He has a little better understanding of what's going on. Uh, but yeah, and, and so I, I do think, but there are like, and Jake's not perfect. Jake, and I, I said on the recap show, Jake didn't play well against Missouri. He did not. It's, it's And Jake's been more inconsistent this year than he has at any point in his career, which is interesting. You're right, because like, you talk about 2017 college football playoff, Jake from versus now. I think he, he's, well, I'll say this, he had more on, he's got more in his shoulders now, right? And he doesn't have the group of receivers that he had to work with back then, nor does he have the running game. To work, we just don't. I mean, Deandre Swift's really good. Harry and I love Brian Heron, but we don't have Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle to lean on. Okay, we don't have that right now. So I I think there's some differences there. I do think he's made some 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 improvements in his game, but there's still things he's got to work on. You know, he's 
accurate. He's he's very accurate. And one thing that drives me crazy sometimes is like when Jake Fromm misses one throw, it's like, oh my god, Jake Fromm's terrible. What? How can you how can you miss that throw? And it's like, I wish sometimes. And like, look, I get frustrated too. Like that that, that throw to Eli Wolf. <laughs> He should have hit that that pass in the end zone. That should have been a touchdown. There's no doubt that that should have been a touchdown. I'm not trying to defend him. That should have been a touchdown. And Jake knows it should have been a touchdown. But I just I find it it's comical sometimes, the standard that our fans hold our quarterback to, but they don't expect that from any other quarterback. Like because some of the fans that, that are all over Jake Fromm act like Jake Fromm is the only quarterback that ever misses a throw. Yep. He's the only one ever. And I sit there and I guys I watch a lot of college football. I watch as much as anyone that I know. And I'm telling you, I see even the best quarterbacks. Hey, guys, Tua Tagovailoa misses throws. Joe Burrow, who's been really, really good this year, he misses some throws sometimes too. You know what? Jake Fromm misses some throws too. But when you look at it, the, the big picture here, Jake Fromm is still really, really good. Not perfect. No, not at all. And some things he needs to improve on. But I, it's another situation. It's kind of like Aaron Murray, right? Remember back when we had Aaron Murray quarterback, how he couldn't win the big game, quote unquote. Now people were ripping him. And now people look back at Aaron Murray and say, wow, no, he's one of the better quarterbacks we've had in a long time. Yeah, he was when he was playing too. And I think people are going to have a, a similar reaction to Jake Fromm because when he's gone, I think if, if, we don't, if he doesn't come back next year, I think we're, uh, some people might have a new appreciation for just how good Jake Fromm has yeah. been for us the past couple years. For sure. And we do have plenty of more questions to get to, guys. But before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment to remind you guys that this show is brought to you by our friends at My Bookie. We opened as a three-point road favorite this weekend against the Auburn Tigers, which really means Vegas sees this as about a six, about six points better than Auburn because typically the home team gets three points just for being the home team. So if you feel good about that number, go ahead and go to my bookie today. They have every kind of betting option that you could possibly imagine. Obviously, they have college football, college basketball is now in full swing, the NBA, the NFL is just a little over their halfway mark, so a ton of sports to bet on and a ton of different options. You've got parlays, you've got halves, you've got in-game betting, you've got sides, totals, any kind of action that you are looking for, my bookie has you covered. And if you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway, all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, I'm not great at math, but I think it means you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. All you have to do is use the promo code OVERTIME to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code OVERTIME to take advantage of MyBookie's generous sign-up offer. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, next up, Jamil asks, what are your thoughts on why we run the RPO when we know Jake isn't going to pull it and run? Wouldn't it be better to run the pistol formation? Okay, uh, thanks another. Uh, thanks again, Jamil. It's another X and O question. Love that kind of stuff. Really appreciate it. I think it depends on what kind of RPO you're talking about there. There can be some misconceptions. Uh, yes, yeah, so sure, when the RPOs were first introduced, well, I, the first time I really caught wind of it was uh, was the kick six game against Alabama. Uh, and so they have Nick Marshall quarterback where, yeah, the RPO was started out as the quarterback's running and if the defender comes up to take the quarterback on the edges, he th- throws it over his head for a touchdown. I guess that was like the first RPO, but RPOs have evolved significantly since that time, and you do not at all have to have a mobile quarterback to run RPOs. Almost every team in the country runs some version of RPOs. All that means is you have the option to either run it or throw it. it doesn't mean it has to be a quarterback run. So what we do when we run RPOs is we stick the ball into the belly of the running back. Jake is reading it. It varies on who it might be. One play might be a linebacker. It might be the slot defender. It might be a safety. It depends on the play we have called and what the RPO is actually trying to do and who you're trying to isolate. Uh, but we he's he puts the ball in the belly of the running back. He reads that defender. If that defender crashes against the run, he pulls it and throws it over his head. Uh, and tries to complete that pass there. If the defender stays and defends the pass, that means we have one less defender in the box to account for, so you hand it off. That's what the RPO is. And actually, I wish we ran more more RPOs. With the way, as effective as our run game is, and as I just mentioned earlier with the question about why we're not having as much success on the ground, what's happening is, guys, I'm not even kidding. Go back and watch these plays. Teams, inside linebackers are playing two to three yards off the line of scrimmage and triggering downhill immediately at the snap. They are not thinking about what's happening behind them. So to me, RPOs make a ton of sense because they are coming downhill hard at the running game. And so we're going to have one-on-one coverage right behind them. Some guys be running wide open free and that can at least slow down their triggering downhill, open up more room for the running game, 
maybe create that little extra bit of space, a centimeter of space that DeAndre Swift needs to break one and become more explosive in the run game and also uh, hit some plays, some, some big plays in the passing game. So to me, I would actually love to see us run them more. No, not the version of RPO where Jake Fromm is the dedicated runner, but where we put in the belly of a running back and then we're reading a guy on the defense, whether against inside linebacker, it could be an outside linebacker, it could be a, a slot defender, it could be a safety, whoever it is. I would actually like to see us run more of those. I think that's one thing that we're not doing that could give us some easy throws, easy completions, help us stay ahead of the chains on first and second down and put us in situations where we can really convert third downs at a much higher rate. Okay. Next up, G says, the improvement of Richard LeCount down the stretch has been crazy. We criticized him early this year, but he's responded well. Do you think Reed and LeCount are the best duo in the country? Gee, I'm really glad you mentioned this, man. Uh, I know he's not on the show day, but Curtis, uh, he, and I have too. I'm not going to put this all on Curtis. My, my longtime co-host, Curtis, he has been very critical of Richard LeCount, particularly for his tackling or lack of ability of tackle or his inability to consistently tackle, I guess is how Curtis would phrase it. And I've been on that too. There's been some issues, but you are so right, man. I, I've got to give our man Richard LeCount some major props. This guy has turned the corner. He has really come on. He has now made himself into the player that we all expected him to be coming out of high school as a five-star prospect. I think on Liberty County, if I remember correctly. Uh, this is a guy that, and we needed it because we, we already have JRE back there playing at an extraordinarily high level week in and week out. And if you match Richard with that, you're right, man. This might be the best safety tandem in the country that nobody talks about. Charlie, do you ever want to talk about our safeties? No. J.R. Reed occasionally, but nowhere near the level of some of these other defenders out there in the country. But J.R. Reed has been fantastic for us for two-plus years, and Richie is playing at that level right now himself. So, I mean, I'm looking around the country. I mean, I know they got a couple they got a, you know, they've got a couple guys. Uh, Delpit at LSU is really good. McKinney's good for Alabama. But a duo like that, I don't know if there's another team in the country that can say we have a duo the caliber of J.R. Reed and Richard LeCount. Okay. Next question is from Cliff. Cliff asks, how does this UGA team compare to the Clemson team that won it all last season? I think there are some striking similarities, like elite defense with at least one elite freshman wide receiver, to name a couple. Cliff, you were, dude, this is, like, when I first read this, I was like, this actually makes a lot of sense. Because at first I was like, oh, Clemson last year, they're way better than we are this year. And I'm like, now look, I'm look at the teams, and you kind of look at the profile, and you're like, I see what you're saying. Uh Two really good defenses, right? Clemson was really, really good defensively last year. Like they were, they were the best defense in the country. Obviously, last year, uh, we are. I don't know if I'm ready to say we're the best defense in the country, but we are certainly in that conversation. We're top five in most major cat- statistical categories. One thing I would say might be a difference, though, is while we are much improved along the defensive front this year, much improved. From this is the best defensive line, in my opinion, that we've seen in the Kirby Smart era. I still don't think we're at the level that that Clemson defensive front was at last year. Those guys with Christian Wilkins leading the way, that was as as elite of a defensive line as I have seen in many a year in college football. And we just aren't quite that good on the defensive line this year. We're much better, and we're we're good enough, plenty good enough. But I don't know if we're quite there yet. We're on our way, but we're not quite there yet. Offensively, you're like I would say like yeah, they had one elite receiver in Justin, one elite true freshman receiver in Justin Ross last year, and we have that in George Pickens this year. Although I would say with T Higgins. And Amari Rogers matched with Justin Ross. We don't have the, the pieces. Like the crazy thing was, Justin Ross for most of the season last year was a complimentary piece. T. Higgins was their number one receiver most of the year. Maybe as the season wore on, it became more of Ross. But like we don't have maybe that the, the top three. Like when Cager's healthy, yeah, you can say we have two guys. I still don't think I would say as, as good as Cager has been for us. I'm not sure he's as the level of T. Higgins. I'm not sure I would go there yet. Uh, and we don't have a guy that's performing like Amari Rogers performs them in the slot. We just don't have that right now. D. Rob's got a lot of talent, but we just don't use him to that degree. He hasn't been, hasn't been as much of a of a weapon for us as as Amari Rogers has been for them. So, uh, yeah, I think and we uh, I, I would still say Jake Fromm's elite quarterback. I know some people disagree with me there. I still call him elite quarterback. And of course, you've got an elite quarterback there with Trevor Lawrence as well. So yeah, I think there there are some similarities. I would say that we actually are much better on the offensive line than what Clemson was last year. Uh, Clemson was good enough on the offensive line with a good running back. Their passing game also opened a lot of room for them. But I think we're better there. But yeah, I totally see the similarities. There's no doubt. All right. G has another question this week about recruiting. He asked, do you think we have a chance with C.J. Stroud? Do you think we'll take two quarterbacks in this class? And who would you rather have between Stroud and Carson Beck? Yeah, G, this is a really important question. C.J. Stroud's a guy who's coming. If you guys aren't familiar with him, he's a quarterback who's going to come on the scene for us. 
the past couple of weeks, month or so. He's from Rancho Cucamonga, California. If you are a fan of Workaholics on Comedy Central, formerly of Comedy Central, that's where they're from, by the way. Great show. You have no idea what I'm talking about, Charlie, do you? Looking like I do. I, mean, I just don't like that show. What? You? No, you've lost your mind. You've lost your Many mind. Many times, yes. You've lost your mind. That's an incredible show. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, Rancho Cucamonga, California. Uh, he is much more of a dual threat quarterback than Carson Beck is. I actually really like both of them. I like C.J. Stroud a lot. I would love to find a way to take both of them. I think the the decision is going to come down to what is Dewan Mathis's status because right now, as far as I know, he has not been fully cleared. And who knows if he will be. I am rooting for that guy so hard. I hope to God he gets cleared and everything's okay. But you just don't know. When you talk about your brain, there's just no certainty there. I don't even know if the doctors know right now. I mean, who knows? So if let's think about this scenario. Let's say, for argument's sake, Jake Fromm goes pro this year. And let's say, for argument's sake again, Dwight Mathis is not able to play next year. We have one scholarship quarterback. That's one scholarship quarterback, Stetson Bennett, all right, who was a former walk-on here. And then you bring in Carson Beck, that gives you two scholarship quarterbacks. We have got to have at least three. Got to. So you have to, in that scenario, you have to bring in C.J. Stroud. Now, if Jake comes back, that muddies the pitcher a little bit. Uh, if Jake comes back, which I think is becoming more and more a possibility with each passing week, I really start, I'm starting to think there's a good chance. We'll see. I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to believe that might actually happen. Hope to God it actually happens because we could be really good next year with him. Without him, hmm, have everything we need except maybe a quarterback. But if he comes back, then you got two guys returning. You got Carson Beck coming in. That's three scholarship quarterbacks, which is basically what we were gonna, we were going to carry this year. Um, which I I would probably feel okay with that. And it also comes down to depends on what our needs are, other positions. Do we want to take an extra extra tight end? Do we want to take two running backs? Are we okay with only taking one running back? Are we cool only only taking Kendall Milton at running back? Do we want to add an extra receiver if a guy like Arian Smith wants to commit? All these things are, are moving pieces. We've got to decide what is the priority. But I'll say if if Dwan's not healthy. And not cleared, and Jay goes pro. 100%. We have to take two quarterbacks. There's no doubt in my mind. Unless you want to say we take one of those guys and we go to the the grad transfer market. But I'd rather, honestly, I might rather bring both those guys in. Uh, I don't know that would help us as much in 2020, but I like the I like being able to build with those guys. It's a tough question. If I had to take one of them, man, I don't know. I really like C.J. Stroud's ability to make things happen with his legs. Carson Beck, I think, has that higher ceiling. He's more of a prototypical size quarterback. He's always pushing close to 6'5", about 225, whereas C.J. Stroud is about 6'1 and a half, about 195. Uh, I think Beck has better arm talent. And the thing about Beck is like he's really good right now, but he's barely scratching the surface of how good he can be. This is the very first year he's dedicated himself to football full-time. He was a, primarily a baseball player coming in last year. Last year was his first full year as a, as a starter. Led his team uh, to the state championship, won Mr. Football down the stretch. And uh, for the state of Florida, and I think he's going to be really, really good once he now that he's dedicated himself to football, and he's just got so much to learn. But he's got all the tools it would take, and he's maybe not a true dual threat guy, but he's very athletic in his own right. Can certainly make things much more athletic than what Jake Fromm is. Can make I would I would actually equate him to more like the athleticism along the lines of a guy like Joe Burrow is what I would say, which is not the like the most lead of foot guy, but a guy that's plenty common enough to make things happen with his legs. Uh, so I, I think I would probably lean Carson Beck. I know there's some questions about Carson Beck early in the year because in the first four games of the year, because he basically lost everyone around him, all the skill players around him on that offense that won the state title last year in the state of Florida, the highest classification. The first four games, he had four touchdowns and eight interceptions. And I myself was kind of like, oh, what's happening here? What's happening? What's happening? Because I actually really thought Carson Beck was a good player based on what I'd seen from him. I was really high on him. But now that he's kind of got some things figured out, the, the players around him have gotten a little more familiar with what's going on. The last six games, he's gone on a tear. 15 touchdowns, one pick over the last six games has led his team once again to an improbable playoff appearance when it didn't look like it was even possible with the way they started the season. So he's turned things around. I'm really high on his long-term potential. I think he has a higher ceiling. Stroud's intriguing, though, with that dual threat ability. Uh, I don't know. I think if, I, if I had to take one, I'd probably take Beck. But... Stroud, I mean, I don't know if you can go wrong with him either. He's a really good player. We might have both, though. We'll see. All right. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
Jesse also has a recruiting question, and you already kind of touched on it a little bit with Carson Beck there. Are there any commits or targets that have had their stock go up or down in your eyes? Yeah, Carson Beck again, you know, first couple weeks of the season, people were like losing their mind. Like, oh my God, this guy's not the answer. What's going to happen at quarterback next year? And now that's kind of calmed down a little bit because he's playing a lot better and his numbers have gone up dramatically. And I'm, again, I'm still very high on him. I think his stock's up from where it was at the beginning of the year. A guy that's been on the commitments for a long time uh, from Georgia here, wide receiver Justin Robinson. He's, you know, I've been trying to try to keep track of him throughout the year, and he's had a really good senior season. I wasn't sure if he had, you know, how explosive he's going to be as an, as an athlete at the wide receiver position because he's a big physical receiver. But it looks like he's really worked on his speed, gotten faster more and a little bit more athletic. So I like what he's been able to do this year. Marcus Rosemey, he's a guy that we got committed from St. Thomas Aquinas in Florida. When he committed, I said that he's a guy that I thought could potentially grow into a number one type receiver. You know, by the time you know, he's a junior or something like that, I don't know if you could be that guy right away. I'm starting to change my tune. I, and I said that like when he first came in, like at the beginning of the summer. Once I saw what this guy was able to do at some of the camps and watching those clips and seeing a little bit of his of his senior tape, this guy is a legit number one receiver. I'm ready to say that. And if you if you match him with a guy like George Pickens next year and Dominic Blaylock and Demetrius Robertson will probably be back. That guy could be another. I mean, our receiver group could be a different animal next year, even without Lawrence Cager. So I think his stock is on the way up. And Noah Sewell's guy, I've been really high on linebacker from Utah for a long time. But I mean, I mean, if it was possible, I'm even higher on him than I was in the preseason with what he's been able to do as a senior. I mean, this guy, he's 260 freaking pounds, plays running back and linebacker for his high school. This guy can move at 260. I'm talking like seriously move. You do not find players that fit that profile. So he is a home run, like first team All-American caliber potential uh, inside linebacker, in my opinion. So there's a couple names for you. Next up, Benji has a question about LSU. With a matchup against LSU likely on the horizon, how do you think our defense will match up against the Tigers? I believe the gap between our defensive defense and their offense is smaller than our offense and their defense, especially with Campbell returning. Thoughts? Okay, Benji, I really appreciate the question, man, and thank you so much for the listening and for all the support. I'm going to answer the question, but this hurts my heart. But he doesn't want to because he's very superstitious. I give a knock on wood like 19 times. You guys probably hear that. Uh, I hope that's... Do it right this time. Uh, because we are not there yet. I know we all want to be there, and we think we're going to be there, and we're probably going to be there. But there's no guarantee we're going to be there. Now, we win this week, boom, we're in. Or if Florida loses to Missouri this week, which is a possibility because Florida's lost to them. They got blown out by Missouri two years in a row. Uh, I think a lot of that depends on how healthy Kelly Bryant is, but whatever. Uh, there's no guarantee. I want to believe. I really want to go there. I so want to go there and like be all in on thinking about LSU. I'm trying to not let myself do that until we completely 100% officially clinch. So that's just where I am. I'm also certifiably insane. I'm neurotic. I get it. Um, so I'll, yeah, let's, 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 let's talk about this one. Yeah. You know, LSU is really good. I don't know if you guys know this. They are really, really good. They proved that yet again, most recently against Alabama on Saturday, but there are some things I think that we can do to, to give ourselves a chance against LSU. I really believe there are some matchups that favor us I think what you're saying is right. The gap between our defense and their offense is smaller than the gap between our offense and their defense. I get what you're saying there. I like how we match up in the secondary. Uh, Christian Fulton, uh, on their, you know, if you look at their secondary, they're really good. But we have some really, really good cornerbacks. And, and look, we just talked about how well our safeties are playing, how we might have the best safety duo in America right now. And I know Jamar Chase, Jefferson, uh, Terrace Marshall, those guys are really, really good at, at wide receiver. All those guys. It makes it really difficult to defend them. You got to throw in Thaddeus Moss as well at tight end. They're difficult to defend because they have so many weapons. Okay, Maybe, and I don't know if their receivers are quite to the level of Alabama's receivers, but they are not that far off. They're difficult. But I think that we have a secondary that can at least hold them relatively in check. They're going to score. If we play them, they would score on us. But I, I also would say that I don't know if they've faced a secondary that's as complete as we are. One thing I also like about our secondary in that matchup is we, I'm not saying we haven't had any bust on the year. We've had a couple ones, but they have been few and far between. And LSU feast on teams that bust in the secondary. And that's one thing that Kirby puts a premium on is making sure guys play their assignment and know where to be, communicate all of that. We haven't seen a ton of bust lately. Again, knock on wood, because we'll probably see something now this weekend now that I mentioned it and probably lose the game. Uh, but I think that's one thing that goes in our favor. You watch against the game against Alabama. Bama had multiple busts in the secondary, and every time Bama was busting like that, LSU was there to exploit it and score off of it. So I, I like our ability to, to at least keep them relatively in check compared to what they've been uh, held to the rest of the year. 
Uh, I don't think that they have faced an offense that's built like our offense with our with our offensive line. Uh, I think that we can have some success running on, the, running on this team. Florida had a decent amount of success running the ball on them. I think that we can have some success on the ground against this LSU front seven. I don't think their linebackers are nearly as good uh, as it happened the past couple years. They don't. They do not have a Devin White on their team right now. Uh, they they just don't have those guys right now. Queen is pretty good, but he's nowhere near Devin White. So I think we might have some success being able to run the football. And I think on the other side, I think we can stifle the run game. As well as we have played against the run this year, I know that Clyde Edwards-Alaire is coming on late in the run game. Is, it's kind of been discovered here late in the season. But I still think that that's a matchup that could potentially favor us and hopefully allow us to get them to third and long where we can get our dime package on the field, get some of our athletic pass rushers on there, and maybe create some havoc for Joe Burrow. So, look, it would be an uphill battle. It would be a really tough match game, a matchup in a game, no doubt about it. But I think there's some things that we could do to maybe, uh, I don't want to say shock the world, but... Put a little bit of scared LSU more so than people might expect coming into that game. All right. Final question for this week. Josh asks, well, he says, he was watching the game and one thing was glaring at him. We aren't doing all the small things. It seems like we leap forward and the little things that we aren't doing push us back. How can we fix this? That's a that's a tough question, Josh. If, if I had the answer, I'd probably be coaching on the staff right now. I think Kirby's asking the same question, my friend. Because it is frustrating. You see how well we execute, how well we play against Florida. You come back home, and like the, we, we played well. You know, we went twenty-seven nothing. You don't play poorly and win twenty-seven nothing. But there were a lot of little things. You're right that we did not do well. Curtis and I talked about that on the recap show how like we were just a couple of plays away, a couple of just minor mistakes away from winning that game forty-two nothing, if not more than that. I mean, we left easily, you know, fifteen plus points on the board there. Uh, whether it's Fromm missing a, a, a wide, a pretty open Eli Wolf in the end zone, missing Karius Jackson in the end zone. Um, there was a bad snap where he uh, had to reach down to his left there to grab the ball, and by the time he looked up, kind of just had to throw the ball away. And if he had time, he would. I, I would like to believe he would have. I think because I think that play was designed for DeAndre Swift. I think he would have found him there, and that's that's another touchdown right there. We had to settle for a field goal. You got the George Pickens sixty-plus yard touchdown catch in the in the fourth quarter, where that's a that's a huge play, but that gets called back because George Pickens doesn't line up on the line of scrimmage like he's supposed to. It's a misalignment penalty. So the, then those are all fixable things, and Jake hits those guys more often than not. Those are all very fixable things. But it's like, well, we did all those things right against Florida, so why did we not do those small things right against Missouri? And, and that's a tough question to answer. And I will say I'm not necessarily surprised by that. I talked about in the preview show last week coming in the Missouri game how I like one thing I was concerned about is like the emotional high coming off of Florida. Uh, are we going to be ready to execute as well as we did against Florida? Are we going to be as prepared? Are we going to be, and not just for that game, but like throughout the week, are we going to be as into the, the process of preparing for Missouri as we were for Florida? Uh, and I, I think the answer is certainly no, we were not, but we still prepared well enough to come out there and win 27 nothing. But it is it is frustrating. Uh, we've seen, I thought we played really well for the most part uh, in Knoxville against Tennessee. You come back home, lay an egg in South Carolina. Play better against Kentucky, although it's hard to really judge that in that monsoon. You come out after the bye week, play really well against Florida, and then you come back out and play well, but not as well as you did the week before against Missouri. So hopefully we're due for another good performance if you look how the season's gone this week against Auburn. But it's, it's tough to explain, Josh. It really is, man. But I, I'm seeing a lot of the same things you're seeing there, buddy. I am. But uh, all right, that's it, right? That's it for today. That's it, guys. I really appreciate all the questions and comments that were sent in. Did our best to answer them, too the best of our abilities. Hopefully it was good enough. And uh, we'll be back later this week with a full official preview of the Auburn game. And, of course, our picks of the week. We'll have you guys covered all the way the rest of the week. But thanks for listening, guys. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.